Welcome back to the Wrong Advice Podcast. I'm your host, John Picciuto, and I'm very excited to have the one, the only, my father, Tony Picciuto, on the podcast. Pops, how you doing? I'm doing fine. That's good to hear. Um, obviously, I know you pretty well, uh, going on almost 36 years now, but if you would, please introduce yourself to the listeners. How far back do you want me to go? As far back as you want. Who are you? Um, Anthony Picciuto. The father. The father of John Picciuto, mm-hmm. Jessica Picciuto, which were the first two, which were twins, uh-huh. and Anthony Vincent Picciuto, which was the last boy. Gotcha. Is that the, the, the entirety of the introduction? No. Do you want me to go back to eighth? <laughs> Eight years older? <laughs> no, no. I just, uh, you know, who are you? Where are you from? Where were you born? Correct me if I'm wrong. Chicago, Illinois. I was born in Chicago, Illinois, on a two nine four seven, a brisk winter day. Yep. Uh, we moved out of there at three years old, and moved to Milburn, New Jersey, and we. I moved out of there at. 10 to Maplewood, New Jersey. And correct me if I'm wrong, you went to Columbia High School? I went to St. Joe's from to 8th grade. What is that? Catholic? Catholic Grammar School. Mm-hmm. And then we went to the Maplewood Junior High for one year, and then Columbia what was High School. Maplewood Junior High was like, what, 6th grade? No. Well, it was ninth. Oh. St. Joe's was to eighth grade. Gotcha. It was, the junior highs were for the public schools. The Catholic schools went to eighth grade. Then the, the local schools went sixth, seventh, and eighth. Um, seventh, seventh and eighth and ninth. Mm-hmm. And then you went to 10, 11, and 12 in high school. Gotcha. Today. Unless you went to like. St. Peter's Prep or Don Bosco, right. Burton right. Catholic, one of a those. Lot of, a couple of my buddies went to um, St. Benedict's. In Newark. In Newark, yeah. I don't know if it exists anymore. I don't know either. <laughs> yeah, I don't think a so. A lot of those guys don't exist either. <laughs> so it happens when you're 74 years old. Yeah. I made it. Yeah. <laughs> Some Look, of Ma. Them did. Look, Ma, we made it. Um, talk to me a little bit about uh, your childhood growing up in Jersey, um, on to college at Fairleigh Dickinson University. Um, just kind of like talk to me through your youth and kind of your journey from high school to college to adult life. Wow. That's one hell of a journey. <laughs> All right, give me the, uh, the Cliff Notes version. The Quick Notes was, let's see, at eighth grade, no, at eight years old, as a youth, or as my cousin Vinny would say, youth. <laughs> My mother brought home a pair of shoes and opened the box, and it was the white shoes with the the black saddle. We used to call them saddle shoes. Uh I closed the box, and I said, Mom, you'll never buy me another pair of shoes again. I went up to Carl's Pharmacy and said, Carl, you need somebody to pick up your lunch and clean your store. I want a dollar a day. He said, okay, and my mother never bought me another pair of shoes. Dollar a day. Dollar a day. What do you think? It's like 10 bucks now? It's probably like a thousand bucks. 
I don't think you could buy anything for a dollar. Yeah. Um, about a year or so later, I, w- I was standing in front of our house in Maplewood, and a guy pulls up and says that I was with my buddy, George Iantosca, that I graduated high school with, mm-hmm. eventually. And um, he says, do you guys want to make some money? And we both said yes at the same time, and we flipped the coin, and I won the toss. It was the Newark News newspaper, mm-hmm. and I got a, a newspaper route with 18 dailies and 22 on Sunday. Houses. Yeah. That doesn't sound like that many. Uh, within a year or so, I was delivering 1,000 a day and 1,500 on Sunday. And how do you do that on a bicycle? Uh, I did it. <laughs> Basically, what I did was I sampled the areas that I was in. In other words... The one street had a hundred houses. Mm-hmm. Now I might have only had two, so I asked for samples and I delivered them Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Sample newspapers for the newspapers, and I would say if you like my deliveries, which I put on the top step, was sixty-five cents a week for the paper. For the paper. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So that was it. I ended up delivering. Most of the houses on that street. So I would load up the bike with papers, go down, come back, go, do the next street, go down, come back. And then eventually I ended up having a buddy of mine, Russ Herbsummer. I don't know if you ever met him. Nope. He, he, and he, he graduated Columbia High School a year after me, mm-hmm. a year before me. And... Um, he drove for so he used to deliver for me my newspaper. And I would do the collecting. And then eventually we did both. So and that was like your second real job after working in the pharmacy? Actually, I made more money than, than I did when I graduated college. <laughs> That's pretty terrible. Yeah. Well, when I graduated college. What year was that? 1971. FDU accounting degree. Accounting finance degree. Yep. I got drafted to be the controller of Sunshine Biscuits. Mm-hmm. Top Gun, options, all the bells and whistles. I was on. I, they called me the Park Avenue Cat. <laughs> Literally. Yeah. In fact. And you're like, I was making more money delivering papers. Probably. <laughs> I Top Gun pay at that time was ten thousand dollars a year. In 1971. 1971. Ten thousand dollars a year. Yeah. How much was a car? What were you driving? Um, 71. I think my first car was a Capri. I don't even know what that is. It didn't exist after I bought it. <laughs> <laughs> but my one of my cars prior to that was a 66 T-Bird. That's a nice car. Yeah. I bought it for a couple hundred bucks, painted it. Is that like the cost of a new car? A couple hundred dollars? It was about 300 bucks. No, that wasn't a new car. It oh, okay. 66. Oh, right. In 71. Got it. And, um, so, like a new car was like a nice new car was like a thousand bucks? Well, in, let's see, a 1969 Bonneville, the Pontiac Bonneville, uh-huh. fully loaded, was $4,800. Wow. That's why. Brand new. Yeah. 4800 
you got to remember. You can barely get a nice motorcycle for 4800 anymore. <laughs> no, you can't. No. Not even a Vespa. Yeah. You had a... What, the Camaros came out, they were like 2500 bucks. Well, when you're only making $10,000 a year, it's a quarter of your salary. <laughs> yeah, right. And that was... Your finance on a $2,500 car is like $38 yeah, now, a month. <laughs> when you analyze it, you graduated from West Virginia. Yeah, 2008. 2008 and your debt was enormous enormous yeah that was uh definitely not worth the uh the price of admission what was your cost like uh my last 18 dollars a credit or something my last year my last year at fairly dickinson was 1700 dollars a credit or per class for the year the whole year the whole year 17 30 something credit I think I was thirty grand a semester. Right. <sighs> Good times. Um, I think you're one of the few people that I know, on a personal level, being that you're my father, that was able to turn a hobby slash passion into a career. Yes. So obviously, you spent a number of years as the controller of Sunshine Biscuits, and you were stockbroker for thirty years or whatever it was that you worked for Payne Weber, I believe, right? Um. I started out with a boiler shop. Okay. So ended up at Payne Weber, ended up back at well, they kept changing the names for quite a while. It was it was yeah. a bit in ninety four I basically took my collecting hobby of trains. Of Lionel trains and I, turned it into a business. And was ninety four the year that you got the store in the city on fourteenth no, Street? Nineteen eighty nine I started the store. With the physical storefront? Yeah. I did it at Sal's Stuyvesant Bicycle and Toy, uh, Stuyvesant Bicycle and Toy on 14th Street. Oh, okay. Wow, in 89. 89. So it was like a full five years into the hobby before you turned it into a business. No, I went... No, I made my personal debut in 94. I was still a broker. Right. Up and, until 94. Right. I was still licensed. Gotcha. And what made you go and make that decision? It was fun. <laughs> Does fun pay the bills? Yeah. It did then. It did after. The only thing that stopped me was they had to knock down two buildings in New York. Yeah. 9-11 was pretty detrimental to the... Uh, there was no business after 9-11. And on, on the... On the general area or just in the hobbies business kind of in and around the, the towers the hobby business was probably in the in the throes of defeat so to speak in the early 90s yeah late 90s mm -hmm. when the kids started more with the nintendo and nintendo ibox yeah that didn't exist yet <laughs> whatever yeah you know what i'm saying so they all jumped into the boob tube and disappeared. Right. Uh, eventually, the trains today, ironically, you can run them on your phone. You can run them on your phone. Yep. The physical train via an application on your phone? On your phone, yeah. That's kind of funny. Yeah, right. Are they, uh, have they seen a resurgence in collectability? No. Really? It's got to be the only thing right now that hasn't seen a resurgence. I mean, you look like Pokemon has come back and it's like bigger than ever. Sports card collecting. Yeah, but when you say Pokemon, 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 
it was pennies at the time, got hot, but the kids were playing with it. Mm-hmm. And then they stopped playing with it. Yeah. And went in the toilet. For a while. And then somehow, I believe, through the Netflix or streaming stuff, Pokemon came on TV. Uh, way before Netflix, there was a Pokemon show. What a, yeah, right. yeah. I'm using Netflix as an example. Right. And basically, you're looking at the new kids that, oh, what's Pokemon? <laughs> Pokemon. Well, it's because I think part of the resurgence had something to do with the application that they came out where you'd walk around town and right. digitally collect Pokemon and that. Oh, yeah. That, that was led a whole, into the resurgence. That was a crazy rage. But it's, it's crazy that. And everything that's old is new again. Trains and toy collectibles. I mean, toy collectibles for sure has seen a resurgence, but trains not at all. Because most of most of the real collectibles of Lionel trains was the post-war era, mm-hmm. the 50s, 60s, prior sixties, prior mm-hmm. to sixties. But everybody who was old enough and earning enough to acquire what they couldn't have as a kid acquired it. Mm-hmm. And that was it. And you don't once you stop buying, when the buyers disappear, guess what happens? It goes down. Right. And what happened with that also is the fact that basically... Lionel Trains diverted itself from, quote, a toy manufacturer to a collector manufacturer. So they were gearing themselves to selling things only to collectors. Well, guess what happens when they all die? There's no more collectors. There's no more collectors. (laughs) Yeah. And why would you want... I mean, I physically had customers. It's no lie. The, the husband would buy every single new Lionel train that came out, every catalog. Was that two a year? There or every two quarter? Catalogs. Two catalogs a year. Plus the Christmas one. Mm-hmm. His wife would buy all of the Department 56 that I sold, all the new buildings. I don't mean one village. I mean every village. Yeah. I was one of the unique guys that were... I believe because I was by myself, so to speak, I wasn't entrenched in a I gotta do it today type mentality. Mm-hmm. But I had crews building layouts all over the place. Mm-hmm. So I even had a special account with Home Depot. For what? For the layouts? For all the parts. How many layouts would you think you built in your career? Hundreds? Yeah, probably. A thousand? I don't know if it was that much. Uh, But I did a lot of commercial stuff. Yeah. What was the building that we did the whole big Christmas thing for in their lobby? That was the Merle Lynch building in Jersey City. I remember doing that. I had a a seven-year contract with that. We would have operating trains and And villages villages and and everything. And we'd set up, they would give us the trees and we would have the... They would have the Santa Claus, and then Merle Lynch moved out, and that was the end of that contract. (laughs) I remember, I think I was probably in like 6th, 7th, or 8th grade, sometime around there, 
like it was like a Friday night, you know, after the building not closed, but like after the work day is over, and we went in. We and had I remember, to be in. We had to be up and running by Monday morning before Christmas. Yeah, well, I just um, remember it was like a weekend Monday. thing. Yeah, and we had to be out before New Year's. <laughs> I mean, you know, yeah, the Monday morning. Or yeah, yeah, that was cool. I remember doing that. I mean, we did a lot of cool things as kids. You know, when you're entrenched in a hobby business, right? Going to, to shows and loved it. Yeah, getting like a lot of you know. I, I I do remember that I was uncompensated except for the fact that I was able to buy one toy every trip. In you used to get every the cor- show, the Corvettes. And the- yeah, I got one that's sitting on my shelf over there, uh, a '67 uh, Corvette. But yeah, I mean, uh, in hindsight, I should have taken the twenty bucks and put it in a checking account. And college might not have been so expensive if that were the case. Uh, well, a lot of that stuff got tossed out over the years. That's the problem. When you know, it's like th- that customer couple that I told you about. It got to the point that they used to start setting up their Christmas village and trains every year. They would start like right right after Thanksgiving, and then it was right after Halloween, and then it was right after Labor Day. Yeah, setting up different scenes in their home. They would set up the trains running through all the villages, and I mean, you had to see the setups. It was unbelievable. That's crazy. But there, and I can't imagine that there were that many of those kind of guys, right? Believe it or not, there were. Yeah, that's surprising. But then and, that was of a generation that no longer exists. Right. right. They had. I remember the last time I talked to them, it was put up and stayed up forever <laughs> until they died. I guess they probably are dead by now. I uh, I find life over the 35 and a half years of existence to be sort of ironic. You were a stockbroker. Your one son trades stocks for a living. You dabbled in photography. I am now a photographer. What do you make of like the circular nation of life and like kind of how that sort of thing comes to be? The circulation of life. <laughs> Patent pending. Patent pending. <laughs> I think basically everybody goes through their searches. Yeah. Photography, uh, well, the reason why I got into photography was that I was, after college, or while I was in college, I, the years are getting foggier, so oh. to speak. I was associated with New Jersey State Opera. Okay. And I used to do all the photography work. In fact... For live shows or like yeah, headshots and stuff? The the parties, the live shows, the behind-the-scenes shots. My pictures used to create their brochures. Oh, that's cool. I didn't know that. They didn't pay for them. Pay me to do that. Yeah, listen, a lot of that stuff hasn't changed even till now, Tom. Yeah, right. <laughs> but I have... I mean, like, I have a picture in black and white. That has the three greatest divas of the world. Madame Yuritsa, Madame Bidusayel, and and, uh, Leech Albanese. Okay. I don't know if it's worth anything. It's your photograph? It's my photograph. Do you have it printed or you just have the negative? I have both. That's cool. How come you've never shown me it? Well, I can't show you now because I don't know what bin it's in. Yeah, that's, that's fair. Fair point. Um, but like, what do you make of the fact that it's very? I would 
deem it quite peculiar. I mean, as a child, I didn't know you took pictures. I mean, I knew you took pictures of us playing sports and stuff. And, you know, your stockbroker era was lost on me. I was zero to 10 years old, right? You know, my memories of that doesn't exist. But well, you were born in 85 and I left the industry at in 94. Right. Do you find it peculiar that your one son is a stock trader and your no. other son is a photographer? No, he became a stock trader. Yeah. But he was a graduate of, of finance. Sure. He gravitated to that. He was able to understand that. He was able. Do you see any coincidence in the fact that two things that you did throughout your life is now carried on vis-a-vis your sons? Yeah, but the, old, the other 200 things I did don't even exist. <laughs> they still deliver papers, but I think yeah. we may have outgrown that after yeah. high school. <laughs> well, believe it or not, it paid very well due to calculation. A thousand, fifteen hundred papers, a, no, a thousand a week. Uh-huh. At 65 cents is how much? I mean, a week back then was good money. Yeah. But you didn't keep all 65 cents. I never pay. got anything. I yeah. had to give it to my mother. Well, I was going to say, the paper cost Maybe 60 cents. Okay, 30 cents. Right, right, whatever. Yeah. I personally find it peculiar that the kind of... Well, when you say that, there was a synergy because... I was a stockbroker. Uh-huh. I mean, Anthony understood that. You understood that. Uh, you, but you didn't gravitate to that. Yeah, because math is terrible. <laughs> but to him, it it was like gambling. Right. If you want to relate to it. Yeah. I mean, I like blackjack. I was a pretty good gambler. I will never forget. So we're we're nearing, what, 10 years post-bypass surgery? It's 10 years ago, right, Sandy? Hurricane Sandy? Nine Nine Uh, years. Almost 2012. No, right after Sandy. Yeah. I thought that was 2010. Whatever. No, 2012. So that was, you had heart surgery, like, let's say, October or November. November. November, uh, right after Sandy, which was October. And your first, like, quote unquote, coming out party after, like, being, you know, going through rehab and the whole nine yards, we went to Atlantic City for, I think, mom's birthday in May, right? right? So, right. So, Becky was there. I think I was. So, I was 2013. So, I was 20. Oh, I thought you meant you were 2000 in the hole. Oh, no. I I definitely was in a hole for (laughs) sure. But we'll get to that. So, you know, I I was 24, I think, and 24. Yeah. I was. Jesus Christ. I'm having such a hard time with this. 15 and 12 is 20. It was 23. I was 23. Anthony had turned 21 in January. Right. We were all legal. Um, we had gotten down early. I think everyone was kind of relaxing in the room before dinner. And me, Vincent, and Anthony had done some drinking and some gambling. And I lost a lot of money. And I was very aggravated myself. And we went to dinner and had a nice Italian meal. I think Aunt Dar might have been there as well. Yep. We had a nice crew. And I will, this just memory is ingrained upon my mind of going to the craps table with you. I I don't think, I think that was the first time we'd ever gambled together for sure. Yeah. Um, And I was down a fair bit of money and you're like, 
we're going to play craps. I'm going to win you all your money back. I was like, ah, dad, you just had heart surgery. Maybe we shouldn't go to the craps table. It's very exciting and whatever. So we were playing at Caesars and Caesars has this, uh, like ancillary table bet called the fire bet, which basically the, the bet is predicated on the person rolling the dice, hitting a certain number of the points. It starts paying incremental odds based on how many of the points you knock off the board. And I knocked them all off. You didn't knock them all off. Oh. You knocked off four or five of them, which I believe paid 500 or something to one. And I had put $5 down on the fire bet. And meanwhile, you proceeded to hit every number you threw. <laughs> and I think I walked off the table with like four or $5,000. Yeah. Vin walked off with like 1500 yeah. Anthony, you know, I don't know what he was doing if he was even there. No, Anthony wasn't there. Okay. Yeah, he might have missed the roll. But it was just like one of those insane... And ep- you know what's stupid? You won all that money. I won 600 Yeah, well, you weren't betting. <laughs> <laughs> you were just kind of going along with the ride and throwing the dice. And the table was getting rowdy and it was crazy. And it got packed as like the... I mean, you rolled for like an hour. It was yeah. like an hour roll. Oh, yeah. And it was epic. And You know, I know something... That used to be my normal rolls. Yeah, that that's not replicatable. It's it was uncommon to say the least. I've I've done a lot of gambling in my youth and I have only ever once seen someone go on that type of terror. And that fire bet throwing five dollars on it. My rolls were pre eighty five. Yeah, that's fair. Um, but it was incredible. I uh, we proceeded to celebrate all night. I got completely belligerently blackout drunk. Anthony took all of my money off the table, and I thought I had lost it all. Yeah. He had hidden my chips from me, and uh, <laughs> I woke up the next morning hungover, sick, and I was like, I can't believe I pissed away all that money. And Anthony was like, Oh yeah, I forgot I took that all off from you, so you didn't lose it all. And uh, it was just one of the. Uh, one of the surely most memorable uh, events of of my uh, my youth, my gambling, all that fun times. Just to tell you a story about that, I used while I was in the investment banking business, I used to follow certain electronic companies. Mm-hmm. So uh, the one they had a one show, electronic show in California. So I flew out there to see the companies that I were interested in. And then on my way back, I would stop at the Sands in Vegas. Mm -hmm. So I walk into the Sands. This is the first time I'm there because Sal's brother used to be um, very friendly with the people there. Mm -hmm. And he he had already been to bed, so to speak. He was old then. Anyway, I walked up and the coupier, one of the coupier boys name was tony <laughs> so i went to him i said tony my name is tony i know how to throw the dice i don't know how to bet i said i want you to bet for me and make sure that the boys are covered he said no problem i had the dice for almost two hours Whew. you should have been retired <laughs> <laughs> yeah so I, when i seven down i was up Probably three or four thousand dollars, but I was looking at the numbers, and there was a stack of black chips on the numbers all the way down the line. And I went to Tony. I said, "Tony, who's all those black chips?" He says, "Yours." <laughs> I said, "What do you mean mine?" He said, "Well, you won three or four thousand. I don't know how he kept track of that." Yeah, but he said, "What's the difference?" I said, 
How many numbers are there? A thousand I lost 3,000 on that roll. <laughs> yeah. If I knew I had six on the table, I would have stopped two rolls ago. <laughs> the next morning, I, I meet Tony. His name is Anthony Corsa. So I meet him at the crap table. He's got two little green chips. And I said, I told him what happened. I said, could you teach me how to bet? Mm-hmm. And he says, okay. So, so it got to my... Now he has two green chips. So he gave me the dice. And he says, put 100 here. I threw a number. And he says, now put 200 behind the line. I said, okay. And I proceeded to roll and roll. <laughs> he had two stations filled with black chips. And I said, Tony, will you teach me how to do it? He said, no, you're doing fine. Yeah, keep doing what you're keep doing. Keep doing what you're doing. I, uh, I think craps with a group of people is the most fun casino game to play. You, you could possibly spend endless amounts of time and fun, and fun there. When I was in Vegas one time, it was me and someone else at a table late night, like 1, 2, 3 in the morning. And there was just this one rich asshole guy who was just betting the don't pass every time. And I was like, fuck this guy. I was like, I'm going to just keep rolling fucking sevens. I was like, fuck this fucking guy. I know you win probably more often than not, right. unless you get one hot guy. And uh, I had got the dice. I rolled an 11. And I said to whoever I was with, I was like, fuck that guy. And then I did it again. I rolled another 11. And then I rolled like two sevens. I got like four in a row. And then I got six. And I got a point, And then I hit the point, And I was like, fuck this guy. And he stopped playing. And I was like, yeah, fuck you. Don't go to the craps table and play the do not pass. You're an asshole. <laughs> I had one guy like that. Yeah, asshole. He got two markers on my roll. <laughs> Good. <laughs> and I was betting $10. <laughs> he was betting hundreds. Yeah, good. Yeah, fuck those guys. I hate those guys. Um, obviously, that trip in Atlantic City was, uh, you know, directly after a pretty life-changing event having, you know, open-heart surgery. A little bit. What was that moment like for you going into the hospital, getting, you know, rolled into the surgery room, knowing you might not wake up? That's a good question. Yeah, I know. That's why I asked it. <laughs> well, basically, <clears throat> I got to go back a couple of days. Right after Sandy, the power came back on and got on. It was like a week. Yeah. It's like a week without power. You know, I'm pushing generators around, going to the gas station, carrying six-gallon gas tanks, two at a time, and waiting in line because there's a line of... People to get gas, yeah. So that Monday, we had power. I got up, I walked the dog, had a cup of coffee, went to the bathroom, and a little while later, I got super dizzy. And... Call I was mom. just able to call the police to get me to the hospital. By the time I got to the hospital, I wasn't dizzy anymore. I was there Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I don't remember seeing a doctor. But Thursday morning, I get a call from a Dr. Khalid. She tells me could, or asks me if I could come in for a stress test on Friday. I have no idea who she is. You were in the hospital for three days and they didn't know what was wrong with you? Yeah. That's really good health care. Yeah, right. Jesus. We should have a podcast on them. <laughs> but anyway, she brought me in Friday to the, the office. I had the stress test. 
And she told me, she said, I scheduled you for a catheterization on Monday morning. They'll come and pick you up. You don't have to do anything. They'll take you there. You have the, the test, and you go home. I said, okay, fine. Monday night when Father Anthony was there, I knew I had a problem. Well, they went to do the catheterization, and my understanding was the heart was such a mess, they were like, you can't leave. Right. And Tuesday morning, they did six I was only 90 to 100% blocked. In six arteries, which there aren't even six, but yeah. Yeah, there is. Well, there's like four. Two behind. Right. They found two extra. So (laughs) talk me through that. You're you're not that old. You're 64 years old, right? You're you're a smoker, 40 years. 50. 50 years. From 14 14 to 64. You quit cold turkey after, obviously. Ironically, that that's the God blessing. I never had a craving after that surgery. Right. At all. Ever. But like what was going through your mind when Father Anthony rolls in on Monday night? I I guess prayed with him. <laughs> yeah. I mean, were you scared? No. Why not? Because I was 64 years old. You weren't afraid of dying? No. Are you afraid of dying now? No. Why not? I have my children. I created a family. Were you scared of dying in your 30s? Well, actually younger. <laughs> because back then you went to Nam and you died. <laughs> well, fair. That's a different time. And theoretically, if my father didn't die while I was in the service, I would have been dead two months later. In Vietnam. Yeah. He wouldn't necessarily died. No, yeah, I would have. Weren't you in the Air Force? The following month after I left, they gave my squadron that I was in charge of flight status. So we had to fly with the airplane with the spare engines, which we never did before. Mm-hmm. And Ed Smith, which you don't know, but he met you as babies, came to us our house in Stonegate. And he told me the story of what happened after they, in other words, the planes we used to work on, I guess they were the C-131s or whatever, the turboprops. Mm-hmm. They're the jet engines with props up. Would fly in, oh, drop the back door, and everything would come out the back end. Supplies. The supplies. And the one trip he was in, the plane got machine gunned, and it went down the side of the plane, up over his head and down the side of the plane, and everybody on the left and right of him died. Wow. And that's where our crew would be sitting. And I, since I was there from day one with him, I would have been dead on the left or the right. And I wouldn't be here. And you wouldn't be here. That's interesting. Well, I, f- I wouldn't be here either. <laughs> well, fair. We wouldn't be having this conversation. Right. I, uh, I would say like from 20 to 30, I was mesmerized by the, the prospect of premature death. Like I contemplated my own demise. Probably, I had recently read something that, that made mention that every generation of human being thinks that they're either going to be a part of the end of the world and or that they're going to die at a young age, right? The uh, foresightedness to be able to see oneself in in old age is not like something that human beings are inherently capable of having just from like a 
survival perspective. That's PR bullshit. There's a book. It's bullshit. It's anyway, a book. My but point. See, does that book make it real? No. It does. It made sense reading it. My point, ultimately, being that when I was younger, I was, I was curious. I was concerned about death. Death. I was alarmed at the prospect of dying before I accomplished anything. When do you think, in your own life, you hopped past that point? Because for me, I think it was. I would say sixth grade. Sixth grade, you didn't care if you died anymore. Well. You got to understand, back then we used to have air raids in our schools. For Russian bombs? (laughs) From the Russian bombs. And you had to get underneath the desk. Now, I was a pretty good reader. And there was an article in the Time magazine that showed, I don't know if it was Time or Life, one of them showed what would happen if an atomic bomb hit New York City. The blast radius. Right. And it showed the circles and this and that. And I had my little map compass. And I went from the center to St. Joe's School. And the next air raid, I sat on top of the desk. Because you're a wise ass. Now I know where I get it. Right. (laughs) So the teacher said, why are you sitting on top of the desk? I said, because the building ain't here. Fair point. I don't necessarily know that that one instance of a hilarious story well, we can, were, I guess you grew was, up in a different time where you were born post-World War II into, you know, age. into the atomic age, into a youth that was perpetrated by another war in right. Vietnam and the 50s in Korea. So you probably didn't have much choice other than to... Yeah. Basically, you know, but you know, my dad said, used to say very few things, but a lot of few things you could write volumes about. Mm-hmm. How old were you when he died? Um, 66, so I was 19. Okay. But the, the reality is that, uh, I'll give you an example, and what? Friday the 13th has always been my lucky day. Okay. And has always been my father's lucky day. He got stuck in traffic. He was in the Air Force. He got stuck in traffic, and the plane took off without him. Mm-hmm. And crashed. Not bad. The next flight he was on, somebody played a, was playing a joke. And hit the jump out of the plane button. Two or three people jumped out of the plane. They died. Without parachutes? No, they had parachutes. Why'd they die? Uh, Wherever they landed, didn't like them. I don't know. But my father looked out the right side, and my father looked out the left side, and he says, those engines are running. I ain't jumping out of any plane. That's fair. (laughs) (laughs) Did you and your dad have a close relationship? I would say basically. Was he around much? When you say around Like as a kid? Yeah, of course. But like there when you woke up and then dinner, like what was that like? Well, he went to, well, he, we had dinner every night. 
um, I went to school, he went to work. So, you know. Um, we did the newspapers together. So. He drove you, you mean? He drove me. What was his cut of the take? <laughs> no, he had his own Star Ledger route. Nice. He had a several... In fact, Russ, I was just talking to Russ the other day, and he remi- was reminding of how we used to go pick up the papers in Irvington or in Summit to put them together for Sundays, you know, because it was a thick paper. So it was interesting. But you know, I, he was also a disciplinarian. Mm-hmm. He never hit me with the barber strap. Barber strap? Barber strap. What's a barber strap? The wide belt that sits at the end of the chair in a barber. Oh, to... Uh, Sharp the razor. Right. It's called a barber strap. Why would he have... To sharpen his own razor? It was just a threat. Uh. Put it this way. When you're, my father looked at you, you knew you were in deep shit. But that's beside the point. Was your parents... Were they religious? I consider you a religious person. So I'm just curious, like, if that's kind of where it was inherited from. Religious. I don't, I really don't think so. Did they Maybe. Go to, did I, w- I had my first communion. I had my confirmation. I went to St. Joseph's Church. I don't know. If they went I to church. I have no recollection if we went to church as a family. Gotcha. We went to church as a family. Mm-hmm. Anthony, the minute the music started, he would fall asleep. <laughs> Me too. Um, anyway, about the barber strap, I found it one day and I was sitting on the floor cutting it up in pieces. And like I said, my father was a man of few words that talked volumes. So, you know, when you're sitting on the floor and you know somebody's standing over you, I looked up and my father said, Ah, you found it. <laughs> you forgot this one. He never used it. But it was just a, I have another one. Yeah, your belt. Got it. And to bring it back to you, when you did something wrong, you just pulled your pants down and said, God, hit me. I'm not going to feel it anyway. <laughs> well, I guess I inherited that smartassness from you, yeah, from you sitting on your... Uh, you got all of it. Yeah. Uh, I think Jessica's got a little bit more. Nah, I don't think so. I think uh, Jessica got the best of both of you. Anthony got the best of both of you, and I, I inherited the, the worst of you and the nah. best of mom. <laughs> No, I don't. Th- I just think that basically, if you relate to it, you inherit a lot of me. Mm-hmm. Not only that, you. Do you think that's why we have such an odd, peculiar relationship? Because we're extremely alike. Yes. And, and it's almost in the same direction, like you said before. A lot of the things you inherited, so to speak, you did. Yeah. And I never taught you. Yeah. I find that peculiar. Well, because I think I think a lot of life is rebelling against the things that you find commonality between you and your parents, right? Like I spent my entire twenties saying I'm nothing like my father. Fuck my father, right? And then you reach a certain age and you're like, wow, it's eerie how peculiarly like close and and similar we are. 
It's odd. No, it's not. It is. We'd had a discussion not too long ago. The fact is, is that everybody is on a journey. Mm-hmm. It's just a matter of what day you turn that page that I turned before or after you. Mm-hmm. I, I, I have a, I brought my stuff with me, my homework, but I have one poem that I wrote a long time ago. I've seen the top and I've seen the bottom, even the in-between, but it makes me wonder what it all should mean. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. I actually have one in there that was published. In what? Poetry book. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I didn't get paid for that either. But you know, you the, know what's interesting? There's not much. I, I became a prolific writer, which you said you did. I used to. You used to? Yeah. You never knew that I did. I mean, we talked about it like a but few I years ago. I had a period of time. My first poem that I wrote, I woke up one morning and it was on my, a pad in my bed. Like you wrote it as like half asleep kind of thing? No, I don't even remember. Oh, so it was a ghost. ghost it was writer. the other ghost. <laughs> but literally, that was my... And since that day, for a period of about six months or eight months, I had to have pads all over the place. In, case you, had, in case you fell asleep somewhere? <laughs> no, not sleeping, but I had, like, the poems were coming out of my head. Uh, but it wasn't... Somebody said, you're trying to say speak through your writings and i said no i'm not i'm trying to commit my mind to writing to paper commit to your ideas to my the- ideas to paper yeah and the re- and the reason why is because the paper will outlast me well not so much anymore but yeah um that's true <laughs> I, the uh, words on them. I have them in the computer, so they can't disappear. I was uh, I was having a chat yesterday with a friend of mine on the podcast about how I've gotten a lot better as of late journaling, writing daily, trying to get like my thoughts and my feelings down on paper or on my phone or whatever it might be, like handily, because there's something nice about looking back in time and kind of seeing your your mindset from a previous point in your life. I'd be curious to know what those poems made you feel now reading them. And did it bring you back to that moment in time writing them? Like, did you recall those feelings or was it more trying to re kind of connect to that? No, I live that. I live it every day. What does that mean? I actually believe it. My, My substance, who I am, it's just a piece that's <clears throat> that was able to be put on paper. Some of some of the notes I have, I can't even finish. Why? I don't know. Huh. Hey, they're I- they're blips. In other words, they're like thoughts. So you have a thought that doesn't give you a whole paragraph to write about. Sure, that's all. That's in and of itself primarily why i can find it almost impossible to write anymore i have the context of an idea and the ability to expand upon that idea i have lost the ability to do so 
No, you just you do too many other things at the same time. That is also true. No, well, when I started, I was in college. Ironically, my first couple of poems that I wrote, I showed my... I had an English teacher in one year, and then the following year, I had the same English teacher. And in that interim period, I started writing. Mm -hmm. And I showed her the poems. And she told me that I never wrote them. What does that mean? She said, it's not your work. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. So I proceeded to write her a poem during the class. One of the lines, I could read it if I could go get it, but one of the lines was that the books were closed to air an illusion that the lecture was at its conclusion. But that's, in other words, the sequence of events during that class I put in a poem and handed it to her at the end. And I said, well, this one I wrote now. Bitch. Bitch. <laughs> I didn't call her a bitch. She yeah. was a good teacher. Yeah. But during that period of time was, I, I consider, a mind expansion. I mean, reading books like Brother Karamazov. I couldn't tell you one sentence in that book, but it taught me so much that it be, all those books became who I was. I've, and plus, going back and forth to, to New York... I used to knock off books daily. Yeah. I've gotten better at reading in later in life. And, you know, it was a running joke at, in elementary school, high school, whatever. Like our quote-unquote summer reading. I never read a single one of those books, ever. And then... You didn't read them in college either. <laughs> no, I didn't. No. no. I mean, hindsight is... The benefit of hindsight is that it is always twenty twenty, And in hindsight, I didn't need to go to school. I didn't need to go to college. I, I, I wish I was afforded the opportunity to find these creative outlets that I have now at a younger age. But they didn't exist. That's not. The, it's not that they didn't exist. It's just that it wasn't, I was wasn't created. It, I'll that, give you an example, and I can only give the example of my professor. See, I had professors in high school. I had professors. The problem was that those professors got hired out to go to the colleges. <clears throat> I was take, I'm a counting finance major. Also, my minor is teaching. So I had all the credits for teaching without the practical side going to it. Mm -hmm. But that's the shotgun effect that I took. I wanted, to, <clears throat> I wanted to do law with the accounting finance because I believed that tax law would have been the most important thing to do in life, period. Which turned out to be true anyway. Well, not important, just lucrative. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, ironically, I just ran out of money and couldn't go to law school. So... But one of the professors, I'm, here I'm, like I said, I'm, I'm an accounting finance major. And I'm taking advanced calculus trig. And after the first week, I went to the professor. I said, 
it, in other words, you had to take that course. Yeah, there's absolutely no relevancy to. And I said to him, "Why am I here?" Yeah, I'm never in the wildest imagination ever going to need to figure out the area underneath an arch of a window. Right. And he said to me, you will never need that. The computers will do that. Mm -hmm. He said, this is going to make your mind work. At the end of the final, I had three finals in a day. Nobody told me you're not allowed to take more than two. I took third. The third one was advanced calculus trick. Nice. Now, back then, the question was one question that had like 400 parts. Sure. So I had a legal pad and a pencils, and I'm answering the parts and answering the parts and answering the page and the page and the page and... And then I got to like two numbers. And I literally said, What the fuck am I going to do with these two numbers? So I handed it in. Got an F. <laughs> I got an A, A minus. Yeah. And big red letters. You must see me immediately. I said, Oh, what do you think? I cheated? <clears throat> So I run over to the professor and I said, what did I do wrong? He says, Tony, I'm a professor for 20 years. I went through every single one of your calculations. I have no idea what you were doing. (laughs) He says, I went through everything. He said, all you had to do to make it simple, all you had to do is add these two numbers together. And you had the answer. He said, but this is the professor. He said, but do you remember what you asked me the first week after you're taking this course? And I said, vaguely. He said, you asked me why I'm here. And I said, oh, yeah, I did. And he says, well, now you have your answer. Your brain works. Hmm. And that, that's the professor. I, those are the type of teachers I had. Not only did they teach you the information, they taught you how to get the Yeah, I think teachers do that now. I just think the difference is, is that we are in a society that is more geared towards generating people who are more desirable of monetary gain, i.e. we're pushing them towards finance towards law towards doctors and countless number of creative programs in schools music departments art departments all these things are getting cut because nobody gives a shit and we're not giving kids the opportunity to learn this stuff that was simply where i was coming from my other question for you is when you were like 12 or 14 or whatever you wanted to be what did you want to be when you grew up 14 i started smoking i'm just saying (laughs) when you were in high school when you were 15 16 years old and you looked at like what could be your life. What did you want to be? That never came into the mental space. The only thing we used to do back then is wonder whether or not we could play two or three baseball games in one day. <laughs> Fair. I'm, I'm serious. What about 
professional career, right? You get to the point of you have a job as the controller of Sunshine Biscuits and whatever. Were you happy? Did you enjoy what you were doing? Oh, yeah. When you were working as a stockbroker, were you happy? Were you fulfilled? Absolutely. I, the brokerage business, I loved immensely. So you've had a lot of careers in a lot of different places, and you've been wildly happy in all of them? Well, the accounting aspect of it, I don't think I was hap- as happy as the investment banking aspect. Investment banking is I was able to sit down, work out procedures for customers, work out uh, answers for public companies. I did research reports. So I have. I always looked at the in, the analytical side of things. The industry that no matter what happened, there was always a market to sell something. Huh. Then I went into the toy train business and I said, "Fuck all the rest." <laughs> that was the that I, that I enjoyed immensely. Not as much as the investment banking because the investment banking allowed me to utilize all my teaching capabilities all my financial capabilities my knowledge in that area and i applied that same information in the train business yeah and everybody in the train business didn't have that background brain dead right um i i look at like the fact that you're 74 you're borderline bordering on 10 years post a what could have been a death sentence i should have dropped dead yeah yeah you you kind of have to spend the rest of your time after something like that viewing as every day is a gift right absolutely do you have any hesitancy any any concern about whether you live one more day one more year one more decade i would like the decade (laughs) (laughs) do i have a concern i I have to face... I've always been a guy that sits down and faces the facts. Pragmatic. Yes. I, 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 I... You know, it's like... If the music stopped tomorrow, would you... Cons- I would be upset. Yeah. But... I'm assuming that there's something after this. That was my next question. Do you believe in an afterlife? I don't know how to qualify it i could qualify it in science matter can neither be created nor destroyed correct yeah and energy can never be created or destroyed and who we are is pure energy yeah i uh i think i'm not sure sometime post 30 i came to that similar realization thank you motorcycle guy came to that realization that I don't necessarily ascribe to like Catholicism anymore or my religion, although I am adorned with multiple religious tattoos. I find religion in general to be non as inclusive as I feel that it should be. But that being said, I am steadfast in my belief that there's, there has to be something after this. It would be completely naive of me to think that Human beings evolved from a primordial ooze into the... Well, we could have another <laughs> podcast on that one. <laughs> I would I would enjoy that. Um, but I, I do agree with you. I think it would be... 
extremely short-sighted to think that this is all that there is because there is no point what would be the point there's no point like the point is for what me have a six understand something there doesn't have to be a point but that's where i fundamentally disagree the point is to if you if you believe well i had three words that actually father anthony just answered the third word on your podcast and unfortunately, I can't remember all the words you use. <laughs> For I love. I have it written down. The right? acronym, yeah. Mine that I gave to him, I think came from a, a rock star, is the word faith. A fantastic adventure in trusting him. I created out of the word hope. He oversees people everywhere he who that's your faith right but that doesn't necessarily need to be faith right it could just be blind spirituality i can only give you a coinky dink i call it yeah i went to a party in august x amount of years ago had to be 40 years ago (laughs) no it was down the shore okay and Three boys, uh, two boys were busting Robert's chops, so to speak. And something terrible happened. And I, the next day I stood behind the mother praying for her to find her dead son. I never heard anybody pray so hard. So I started praying. Now you have to, I have to have a little prelude to that. When my dad died, I told God to go fuck himself. When I started praying, I said, I'll go back to church. I'll do this, I'll do that. And I said to myself, I can't believe that I'm actually negotiating with God to do what I'm supposed to be doing. The minute that thought came into my head, they found the dead body. I call that a quinky dink. Yeah, I I, uh, I would wholeheartedly agree with that. I don't think there are, I don't think there are coincidences. I think everything in life happens for a reason, and it would be, it would be naive of us to believe that these something else. There has to be something. There is something else. What it is, we'll never know. Right. At least religion as a construct. Here we won't know. Correct. Religion as a construct was manufactured by men. Men are inherently flawed. We create something. We can't say that. We can. No. It says it in the Bible. The reason why I say that is, and I don't know whether Father Anthony brought it out or not in his podcast. But I remember having a very strong discussion with him that Christianity cannot stand alone. Yeah, Father Anthony yeah. said this on the podcast, yeah. Right. But that's fine. Judaism can. Now, but, Judaism goes thousands of years before Christianity. Sure. My point, ultimately, and the fundamental premise of what I'm saying, is that it's not as if we're going to sit here and say, 
no. that Moses was standing up on a mountain and a burning bush told him to write a bunch of shit down on on rock. That's illogical. No, it was the finger of God that's supposed to write. It's illogical. It's that that fundamentally I don't know. was my point. I, I wasn't there. Yeah. Nor was anyone who wrote the book. <laughs> so Actually, the Bible wasn't written well for hundreds of years later. That's my point. Fundamentally, that's my point. That being said, I am of the steadfast belief that there is something else. There has to be. It would be incredibly <clears throat> foolish well, I to look think at otherwise. It. I look at it. What would be the... If you are a person who lives their life believing that we are here, we live, we die, and then it's over, that's it. Why, how would you get out of bed every morning? Oh, I'm going to get out of bed whether I want or not. That's not the point. That's because you have to pee, but yeah. Uh, when you... Yeah, uh, my point is simple, is that if you had the credentials to build the pyramids 5,000 years ago, how come there's nobody left? Because they got on a spaceship and left. <laughs> how come the Peruvian pyramids were created thousands of years ago? There's no descendants from those people. Because the Europeans wiped them out. <laughs> right. The Mayans is any history. Any advanced civilization other than... Any advanced civilization that built pyramids... Disappeared. Disappeared. There's no genetic code continued. Yeah, that's odd. That's odd. Yeah, I agree. They went on a jet plane. I'm leaving on a jet plane. Right. What's your favorite musician? Giuseppe Verdi. Second favorite? Probably Puccini. Third favorite? Maybe Neil Diamond. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> That's funny. Um, I, I like, mean, I didn't really go crazy with Elvis. So. No, but I would I would have guessed it Dean Martin, Frank Sinatra. You have a ton of Rat Pack albums. Yeah. Well, I ha I, well, I have a ton of... A lot of Rat Packs. <laughs> but the... It, when you get into the operas, that's what's going to expand your soul and your mind. Hmm, I like that. I like to spend the last bit of every podcast doing sort of like a rapid fire, fi rapid fire Q and A. Um, some of them are super easy. Some of them are a little bit more in depth. Um, my first question is: Is what is your favorite movie? Favorite movie? It's got to be The Godfather. Part one, two, or three? Part one. Not part two? No. I think part two is better. Okay. <laughs> What's your favorite food? I would have to say pizza. Pepperoni or plain? Pepperoni. What's your favorite drink? I haven't drank in many years. Not booze, just in general. Manhattan. That's a That's booze. You said my favorite drink. I said drink. It could be water. It could be Gatorade. It could be Coca-Cola. I matter. like Coca-Cola. Okay. <laughs> What's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Wow. Uh -huh. I quoted one professor. I've had a lot of professors. I wrote something years ago. 
to truly learn, you have to bypass your ears. To truly see, you have to bypass your eyes. If you truly love, you have truly learned. I might have mixed up a couple of them, <laughs> but the reality is is that you can't just... I just had a conversation today, and, and he's a very brilliant uh, medical guy. Not a doctor, but a, the, the medical for the pacemaker. And he made a statement today that he's very scared that there's 2,000-plus people that die every year, uh, every day, to now. And I was always taught that statistics lie, and liars use statistics. If you take the fact that 2,000 people die every day, that's 60,000 people a month. It's got to be way more than that. Probably. Yeah. That we don't know about because they don't report on Saturday and Sunday. <laughs> What's your favorite TV show? Wow. I, I Past love. or present? I know what it is present. It's Billions. Billions is pretty good. But I liked Wise Guy, who I thought was the oh best. Oh, my God. You're obsessed with that show. Yeah. yeah. That was a great show. Yeah. There was a... But there was a lot of good shows. Well, you were in the golden age of television. Right. Yeah. I mean, you had Mannix, you had Peter Gunn, you had... You probably never even heard of The Cat. <laughs> no idea what that is. Look them up. They're there. <laughs> there, there. There was some fantastic TV shows. I mean, you had your stupid stuff like Star Trek and stuff for it, but that was just taking up time in your mind. Where's the favorite place you've ever traveled? The what? Your most favorite place that you've ever traveled to. Oh, it's got to be Rome. You've been to Florence? Hmm? Have you been to Florence? To where? Florence? Yes. And you like Rome more than Florence? Well, Rome you could spend an entire lifetime and never leave. Milan was nice. The funny part about Venice was I remember we were in a boat and I heard some yelling and screaming and the next thing you know, a kid comes flying out the window into the water. <laughs> <laughs> but these are... See, you know what you're getting to? You're getting to or trying to get to life lessons mm -hmm. without doing the life lesson. Mm-hmm. Well, that's I, I've had this conversation with Ant recently, and the premise of my argument ultimately is the emotional growth that I've experienced over the last, let's say, five years as my, you know, my internal self, my internal being, is tremendous. Would it have been possible for me to have had that level of self-growth at age fifteen to twenty? No. And that is ultimately where I fall. I agree. I think life is a matter of a series of lessons over time yeah. that you can only learn through that 
kind of confluence of one of my best quotes that i've read was we finally get the answers to the questions and then we can't use the answer (laughs) no we're still not going to get all of the answers to the questions but that the age gives you most of the answers but you have to grow old to get there yeah it's it's like the my analogy is that there's a reason why wine gets better with age. Yes. That's my thing. When you went on your journey with the Jeep. Cross country. Cross country. I would have t- done a lot longer trip. <laughs> well, it, it just so happened that, you know, a third of the country was on fire. Yeah, that's true. 100% of the country was under COVID lockdown. So there were inherent... But what, Exclude that. In other words, I I would love to see the Grand Canyon. I would love. You never seen the Grand Canyon? No. Why not? Because I never went there. (laughs) Is there any other place you'd love to go? Uh, Yeah, there's in this country. There's a gazillion places, except it's very difficult to get to all of them. Yeah. In your lifetime, Mm -hmm. let alone to do it. Why? Because most of the time you're spending is to keep your family fed and housed and yeah well you make sacrifices once you become a father i don't think i sacrificed your freedom no my kids were my freedom that was cute no it's true that was cute what's your favorite season it's definitely not with snow <laughs> I like I, them all. I can't imagine you like summer. You're more like a fall guy. I, I I love the changes. I'm not crazy when you can't walk out and can't breathe. Yeah. 95 degrees, 95% humidity. Right. Less than ideal. That, that definitely sucks. <laughs> yeah. But I like, I like most of the changes. In did, fact, I have a couple of poems. Huh. Did you always want to be a father? Well, after a four-hour discussion with your mother on a before our blind date, I said I was going to marry her. Interesting. And she would be the mother of my children. So, yes, you always wanted to be a father, or was it only after you met mom? That's after I talked about Then the ordeal to become a father, that was a whole other story. Yeah, fair. That ordeal is still being had by millions of people. No, I mean, just it took five years. Yeah. It's unfortunately not as uncommon as it should be. No, the ridiculous part is the problem that she had. In order to get rid of her problem, she had to get pregnant. Right. Except the problem she had, you can't get pregnant. Right. And I said, come on, give me a break. Yeah. And then uh, I never forget, I got to give you that one final laugh is uh, there was the mad professor <laughs> he said face her east <laughs> no oh they did that too yeah put her upside down yeah um no he said you got great swimmers and i said they're yeah, just they're lazy as shit yeah they're all blind <laughs> should i tell the 
where they wanted samples? No. Oh. <laughs> no. That's a great story. That seems like a good stopping point. Uh, obviously, it goes without saying that I'm incredibly blessed and lucky to have you as my father. And although I very rarely articulate the fact, I love you dearly. And I'm extremely blessed to have you as my father. And as frustrating as our relationship can be <laughs> at times, I... Uh, I, I couldn't imagine having had anybody else as my father. Who could put up with you? Nobody. <laughs> thank you. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I really appreciate it. I love you. I love you too. Thanks. Thanks.